Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Not many startups would be satisfied with or even strive to produce a food or beverage that tastes, quote, just normal. But the founder of the Better For You frozen dessert startup, Killer Creamery, couldn't be happier that the brand's new ice cream sandwich taste is indistinguishable from the category's iconic standard. And that's because the Boise, Idaho company's killer Sammies are far from normal. Instead of bookending traditional sugar-sweetened dairy ice cream with high-carb, high-calorie, and low-nutrition wafers, Killer Creamery's ice cream sandwiches are made with a zero-sugar chocolate and vanilla ice cream that is slapped between gluten-free and keto-friendly chocolate wafer cookies that are made with pea protein, oat flour, and MCT oil for a better-for-you nutritional profile than competing frozen novelties. Conscious of the alternative ingredients used by many traditional sugar-free ice creams and frozen novelties in the past have resulted in products that have tasted or behaved slightly off from the golden standard of indulgence that they sought to replace, Louise Armstrong didn't want a compromise between flavor and function and a healthier nutritional profile. He wanted it all, and so he worked hard until he got it. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Armstrong explains how he applied his skills as a food scientist and the lessons he learned over the years as a quality assurance auditor for different food manufacturers to navigate the trade-offs of various sweeteners and to create a sugar-free ice cream that could be enjoyed just as easily by carefree children as health-conscious dieters, including avid ketogenic followers like himself. He also shares how he's tackling negative stereotypes of better-for-you products, holding his own against big-name competitors, and how the pandemic is reshaping the frozen dessert aisle, for good and bad. When Killer Creamery's Zero Sugar Killer Sammies hit retail shelves earlier this summer, Armstrong says it was a dream come true, not only because he did something no one else had done before, but because it fulfills the original inspiration for launching his business. Essentially of how this all started um, in about 2010 was just being at a gym, um, did, a, did a workout, then went to a gas station to get an ice cream sandwich. And uh, kind of thinking as we're eating ice cream sandwiches, like, you know, why does this have to be loaded with sugar? Why doesn't it have anything functional in it, like a good fat source or higher protein or something like that? It can't be that hard to do, right? So that was kind of the seed that was planted and I just kind of kept coming back to it. But before Armstrong could create the ultimate zero sugar ice cream sandwich, he needed to create the ultimate zero sugar ice cream, a challenge that strikes at the heart of the frozen desserts taste, mouthfeel, and overall experience, and one which Armstrong said the better for you category, including killer creamery, can still improve. The products that were sugar free in the past always had some weird you know, artificial taste, probably because there are artificial sweeteners and things in them. And back then there just wasn't, there weren't that many options. Um, and probably in general, a lot of innovation and focus on trying to make those better because it was a smaller category. But as time kind of goes on here and, and it sure looks like it's going to continue as you see 
um, even the big brands, Nestle, Pepsi, all these groups going towards zero sugar plays. Um, it's undeniable that people are looking for uh, reduced sugar or at least sugar-free products um, across the grocery store. So ice cream, of course, is a place that's loaded with sugar, that whole category. So why can't we take that out and you know, put something in that is natural and um, reduces calories and has no um, negative sides to kind of human health? Um, so the trend is definitely there. We're, we have a business because there's a demand for it. And we're priding ourselves and hyper-focused on the experience side of it. So we're, we're trying to make sure that our products just taste like regular products and like regular ice cream products. So you have that kind of nostalgic experience. There are people, of course, and including myself in the past, that have eaten plenty of sugar-free products, and you're willing to give up a little bit to kind of still have your <laughs> itch to um, scratch your itch a little bit um, with ice cream and Products like um, early adopters like Halo Top just didn't ha quite have the texture and experience, of course, of like a Ben & Jerry's, and frankly, the category still isn't quite there yet. But as we get more and more options like allulose and monk fruit and even erythritol, erythritol has been around for a long time, we can get closer and closer to that traditional experience. So, again, our goal at Killer Creamer here is just trying to give people that traditional experience, but let's pull out the, the worst things of ice cream and try to add something functional to it, beneficial. Um, but at the end of the day, it's got to taste amazing. And that's what we're, what we're focused on. The challenge of replacing sugar without negatively impacting the taste or functional experience of ice cream alone is daunting. But as Armstrong notes, it's even more complicated when supply chain challenges are thrown into the mix. In balancing these three competing priorities, Armstrong said that he landed on a blend of allulose, erythritol, and monk fruit as the ideal combination to meet Killer Creamery's low-carb yet indulgent target. Yeah, so there's the you know physical availability of some of these sweeteners. Um, we're trying not to make sure we pin ourselves in a quarter, and uh, we want to make sure our products are available at larger scale. So that that right there eliminates a few of the natural sweeteners out there. Um, allulose, like you mentioned, is kind of the, the newer on the scene product. And, you know, all these sweeteners seems like right now have some supply chain issues, but we do have a pretty secure source. So luckily that's one that continues to be good for us. And from a functionality standpoint, allulose is the closest of those ones we've been talking about to mimicking sugar uh, physically. Um, it's, it's very similar to a sugar um, doesn't have quite the sweetness and doesn't carry the caloric impact because of that. And, of course, has no impact on your blood sugar levels, um, blood glucose levels. And uh, it's, a, it's a great one for what we're trying to accomplish. Um, erythritol is one we, we moved on earlier until we essentially replaced most of it with allulose because of that functionality standpoint. Um, and even prior to erythritol, I'm sure you heard of, like, xylitol. That was the original um, it's a replacement I used for our products, but I just couldn't get over the fact that xylitol had you know, some potential issues if a dog got a hold of your product. And um, I know people like kind of sharing their ice cream treats with dogs, and that's something I couldn't just get over. So we, we moved to erythritol. And then, like I said, as this kind of movement's grown, it continues to grow, and more and more options just kind of keep popping up. So that's where Allulose came in play, and we started using that heavily in 2019. And then same with monk fruit, it was mostly all stevia kind of when I started working through this and 
Stevia gets a bit of a bad rap. Um, early Stevia definitely had some like bitter notes to it, but now they're extracting so many different elements of that to control that that particular negative side of it. But I still believe that's a, a good sweetener. But monk fruit has become more readily available and cost effective too, which is a big part of all of this if you want to scale and run a, a real business. So, so monk fruit is the one we ended up kind of going with for the most part. And uh, it's been awesome to kind of round out that flavor because, you know, one for one, allulose and erythritol just don't match sugar. So you need some type of that little kick. And, and monk fruit being, you know, 300 times sweeter than sugar, um, just a small amount goes a long way. So we love that one in our products. As Armstrong noted, ensuring sufficient supply of key ingredients is a top challenge for any scaling business at any time. But doing so during the pandemic, when supply chains have been strained in unpredictable and unusual ways, has been particularly difficult. Definitely tough. Um, there's no crystal ball to when when supply chain issues might end. And, you know, frankly, with the new waves of COVID and things kind of coming along, there's definitely a fear there that, um, you know, maybe we have to scale back innovation or or slow things down a little bit. But I think one benefit for us is that we were an early adopter of allulose at some good volumes. <clears throat> so we've been able to kind of maintain our partnerships there and secure some of that, you know, new entrants into the space trying to use allulose. I think are having a much harder time securing that. And, uh, man, we'll see what the future holds. But any type of product that uh, like, like these, it's just difficult to produce because all, along the whole supply chain, um, places like corn and wheat and things like that where some of these products are manufactured from. Um, it's just challenging, especially with droughts, with uh, labor shortages. I mean, kind of everything down the line of that have, has happened with COVID and beyond with droughts and things like that is kind of affecting things. So I think, I, I don't know where the crops kind of stand right now, but definitely on pins and needles trying to see where we're going to go and 2022 and beyond. Um, I feel pretty good about 2022 as far as supply chain, but beyond that, and it's, <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball by any means. It's just a difficult space to navigate, but luckily it is an extremely important trend. We have a lot of big adopters of it. You know, again, when your Nestle's and Coca-Cola's and Pepsi's are starting to play in the space, it validates um, the category. Of course, they'll command the market share and be able to secure that supply above small companies like myself, but it also ensures that there will be supply. Um, if it's a bunch of small companies trying to, you know, use little bits of allulose and monk fruit, then of course that would be probably the first thing that got chopped from these larger, larger suppliers. But, um, but it is definitely a trend that's undeniable. And, uh, and frankly, I think helps solve so many of the world's, um, issues if people couldn't just find ways to reduce sugar and just live healthier, cleaner lifestyles. While the pandemic has strained supply chains and made it difficult for emerging brands like Killer Creamery to secure shelf space, it's also turbocharged the consumer demand for ice cream and frozen novelties, creating longer-term opportunities for fast-thinking, innovative entrepreneurs like Armstrong. Well, the pandemic definitely shifted the ice cream categories, both the novelty and pints, they elevated um, kind of to ridiculous levels. Um, prior years, I'll just start with pints. Prior years, you know, pints growing as a broad category, not just better for you. Pints grew, growing like half a percentage or 1% seemed to be 
kind of the annual trend, if not down sometimes. So big, you know, $7 billion category. Um, things kind of get traded in and out, but the, the growth was, you know, fairly slow. Through the pandemic, they were knocking on the upper teens for the category as far as growth over the prior year, which is ridiculous um, as far as that volume and kind of the category. On the novelty side, same thing. Um, novelty was kind of the hotter part of the frozen aisle. Um, so more focus on novelties. Buyers are bringing in more novelty options. And we're looking at, I think it was close to 5% kind of growth prior to the pandemic, which is great. Um, a lot of things happening there in a big old category, which I think is closer to $6 billion um, total. And then through the pandemic, of course, that was even above and beyond pints. And I think they were knocking in about 22% growth over prior year, um, which is, yeah, again, huge. So a couple of things there. I think, you know, people, of course, were shopping at the grocery stores more. Um, both sides, you know, I think instead of going out to get your treats, you were kind of forced to go to the store. So some of those people definitely in pandemic 19 probably happened because of just over-consuming ice cream or eating too much. And then there's some of the organic side, too, where if you're not getting your treats elsewhere, you might as well go get them at the store. And um, the healthier options draw people in, too, that, you know, they're, they're still trying to make better choices. So these Better For You products um, kind of thrive through the pandemic as well. Now, for a company like myself in particular, we're not that big. So um, groups like Ben & Jerry's that had the big, secure, robust supply chains really benefited, benefited through that growth. But newer brands and things like that definitely didn't see quite that, you know, the big monumental numbers that I was just talking about. It's not like we grew that much. When you're pioneering and trying to um, get a new brand in front of people, it's a difficult time through the pandemic because a lot of the retailers and distributors were focused on those core products. So your Ben & Jerry's, your Haagen-Dazs, the ones that, that are moving the most product um, have the most availability and things like that. So those big companies are really the ones that kind of benefited through it. And, you know, frankly, we feel just blessed to still be um, in the grocery store game and be on shelf and have a food product because um, talk about hard times for so many other types of production, services, um, all those types of things that aren't in grocery stores. So we feel blessed to just be there and still be here and being able to innovate. But uh, kind of post-pandemic, we're seeing some of the the pint numbers drop back down. Um, so over prior year, it's basically stable, which is still elevated compared to traditional. But the novelty side is still growing um, even beyond pandemic numbers. So that's that's kind of crazy. I think the latest I saw was a report of 10% over last year, which is the elevated pandemic numbers. So that's just wild. So novelties are definitely where it's at. Recognizing the opportunity for novelties and seizing it with the launch this summer of Killer Sammies, Killer Creamery shows how innovation and fast iteration can help emerging brands successfully go up against larger, iconic players. We're doing what you have to do as a small company and live off innovation and be able to be nimble and move fast. So we launched an ice cream sandwich this year, a traditional one. Um, so the, think of that rectangular wafer. Which brings me, brings me all the way back to my kind of origin story of getting one of those at a gas station. Um, so that was the first product I wanted to do and finally was able to launch that. Um, but innovation, I think, is where we can win and speed to market. So we can go capture some market share, validate some new products, and kind of touch the spaces that, are, that seem to be um, just lacking any kind of fun and innovation. Um, 
it's difficult to do with sugar-free products and non-traditional ingredients to bring that full experience of ice cream to people, which has so many connections to emotions for people from celebrations, just nostalgia. Um, ice cream is very emotional. So we want to make sure we capture that, that essence of ice cream. And we feel really good about our sandwich, um, but we've had great traction with it initially. And the coolest thing about it, and it's our goal as an entire team here, is that when anybody eats it, whether they're thinking sugar-free or just wanting to eat any type of ice cream, so kids are a great example, the feedback we're getting is just that it tastes like an ice cream sandwich. So even though the sugar's gone and we've taken out gluten and everything like that from the cookie itself, um, it just tastes like an awesome ice cream sandwich. So uh, my dream come true right there. <laughs> that's what we're we're trying to live on innovation, and that's the way I believe we can stay ahead of competitors, um, especially the big boys that already kind of dominate the space in the household penetration that you mentioned. Leveraging innovation to secure a store shelf is only the first step in the battle for market share. The next, and potentially more challenging in the better for you space, is overcoming stereotypes to win over not just health conscious consumers who may be willing to trade taste for nutrition, but all consumers, including those who just want to indulge. When you put yourself in this better for you category, there's already kind of a negative connotation that, like, Anybody coming there is probably thinking inherently or just the way it is that you're giving up something to be in this, this door set, this better for you category. Um, then you put, you know, no sugar on top of it. You know, the thousands and thousands of samples I've done, <clears throat> as soon as you say that it's no sugar, somebody in, initially turns to, okay, this can have a weird taste. <laughs> it's just inevitable. And, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take for that to ever change. It might, might never uh, but hopefully we can start changing that narrative a little bit. But we're definitely trying to speak internally to just um, the innovation and just the, the healthier aspects of a product versus like saying, hey, this this tastes great by chance or, you know, like uh, try our products. They, they taste just like the real thing. Um, just making sure that we don't, don't highlight the negative side of it because we truly think it, it is competitive with just a regular tasting ice cream sandwich. And even saying that, like there's a negative connotation to what I just said there. So it's definitely a difficult, a difficult thing to kind of, kind of go with. Um, we do have a, a packaging, kind of a branding refresh. We're trying to just look a little bit more, um, oh, just bring the fun back into this better for you category, which I don't think quite has it right now, especially into the novelty side. To do this, Armstrong says that Killer Creamery soon will unveil new branding and plans to introduce additional products that can be enjoyed by anyone and everyone without guilt. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this installment and that you'll join me again for another. To help you remember, please subscribe. Until next week, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.